Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us. And if you want to learn more about our church, look us up on Facebook or our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. To the congregation of Valley View, thank you for your prayers and calls this last week. We have truly felt loved and a little less like we're in quarantine this week here in the Walker household. We're all doing well. Our son Seth is better and Betsy and I are on the mend as well. Lord willing, we will be back in worship with you next Sunday as our quarantine ends just before next weekend. Well, what comes to your mind when you hear the word wait? You might think of something good to come, like a birthday or a Christmas present. You might think of the phrase, all good things come to those who wait. And some of you are thinking of being denied something or someone. No, 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 wait, you can't have it yet. We wait for all kinds of things in our society. Package deliveries, traffic lights to change, test results. There is more waiting than we realize and can possibly imagine in our world today. And I have experienced a new level of waiting while in quarantine for the last eight days and and still looking out at six more days to come. There's a lot to do at home, but it's another animal altogether when you cannot leave your front door or visit with friends. This sort of waiting feels powerless, like it's working against you. This sort of waiting asks me to do nothing, and it is no fun. This is passive waiting, and most of the waiting that we're asked to do in life is passive in this way. Do nothing, achieve nothing, let nothing happen while you wait. With this in mind, it's understandable that most of us are not excited about being asked to wait on the Lord. Yet the Bible asks us to wait on the Lord, and our text today speaks of the Thessalonian Christians waiting for Jesus. Waiting is part of the Christian life, and this means that if waiting is part of the Christian life, then waiting is part of the best life that you can live. Through this series, we are studying the Thessalonian church and how they conducted themselves in a climate of hostility. Waiting for Jesus is one of the keys to this. Waiting energized these young Christians and kept them locked on to Jesus and undistracted by the pressures they were experiencing from non-Christians. Our theme for the series is Gentle Among You. And gentleness was Paul's resolve and method for reaching out to the Thessalonians. And gentleness is now how Paul asks these young Christians to conduct themselves. And this gentle waiting faith stands in stark contrast to the community around the Thessalonians. In a world that encourages on-demand living, waiting for Jesus feels unnatural. But when we wait on the Lord, we are declaring that God's provision, providence, and purpose are far better than our own. Let's go ahead and read the text in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, But your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception that we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now you might hear this text and feel like waiting, 
is just tagged in on the end. But none of what we read in the text today can happen if the Thessalonians were unwilling to wait for Jesus. This text describes a witness from the Thessalonians that travels far and wide. It covers Macedonia and Achaia and everywhere, as the text says. News travels so effectively that Paul says he doesn't even have to speak a word of it wherever he goes. People are already abuzz about the Thessalonians and the Christian faith. This witness, this boldness, does not happen without the Thessalonians waiting for Jesus. Waiting is the key, and it's a key for you and me in our own lives. And the Bible tells us that we are called to be a people who wait upon the Lord. And so I want to read several scriptures here that talk about waiting on the Lord. Psalm 27:14 says, Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 37, 34 says, Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the, the wicked are cut off. Isaiah 40, verse 31, perhaps a familiar verse to some of you, says, But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with, with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And Lamentations chapter 3, verses 25 and 26 says this, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So since we are to be a people who wait upon the Lord, we need to be clear about what waiting on the Lord is and what it is not. So let's start with what waiting on the Lord is not. So waiting on the Lord is not inactivity. Much of the waiting we do in our world today removes power from our hands and keeps us from being effective and productive. We have such a strong dislike for being inactive that even the perception of activity is better to us than actual powerlessness. The next time you get on an elevator, look at the buttons on the control panel. The one that probably gets pushed the most is actually a fake button. The button that is labeled, labeled close the doors has no mechanical function. By law, the doors on an elevator are supposed to open for a certain length of time to allow those in wheelchairs and those on crutches to be able to board. The closed door button has no mechanical function. It cannot close the doors, but it does have a purpose. It gives you a sense of power and control as you press on that button to indicate how hurried you are. Waiting on the Lord is not being uninvolved. A close cousin to inactivity is uninvolvement. Often waiting is associated with letting others do, and this is simply not the case when it comes to waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord is not indecision. I'm not sure that indecision is ever genuinely a part of waiting, but we often have to wait on others while they decide how they're going to move forward, or maybe how others can't decide how they're going to move forward. And waiting on the Lord is not belief that blessing is only, and I want to really emphasize that word only, in heaven. Belief is that blessing is, it is waiting on the Lord, is not the belief that blessing is only found in heaven. Ever hear the phrase, that person is so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good? The Christian should understand that the blessing of heaven uh, is wonderful, but they should never throw out the baby with the bathwater when it comes to enjoying what God has given us here on earth. So what is waiting on the Lord? 
Well, here's some attributes of what waiting on the Lord is. It's like a tongue twister here, what I'm talking about. Waiting on the Lord is action. In our text today, we hear about the witnesses of the Thessalonian church. Their message has traveled far and wide, and it paves the way for the apostles. There is nowhere that Paul can go that isn't asking about the Thessalonians and their faith. And additionally, the whole world is remarking about the changed life of these new Christians, that they abandoned idol worship, the worship of false gods, and are now following the living and true God. This does not happen through inactivity and passiveness, but only through an, a life of action for the Lord. And this is not just action as the Thessalonians see fit, but it comes from diligently waiting on the Lord or waiting on Jesus, as the passage tells us. And part of actively waiting is also using all the gifts that God has given you. First Corinthians 1.7, it's a, a really quick verse, but it mentions about having all the gifts and using the gifts. And so First Corinthians 1.7 says, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus. It combines waiting on Jesus with using the gifts that God has given. It's an active thing that we do, waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord is the anticipation of heaven. Now, it's not just the anticipation of heaven, but it's realizing that that is where life is really found, that we are looking forward to eternity. Waiting on the Lord can be viewed as the Christian understanding um, that we live in an in-between space. Let me say that again. Waiting on the Lord can be viewed as the Christian understanding that we live in an in-between space. And that in-between space is, is sort of a tricky phrase. And what I mean by that is to say, as a Christian, we have salvation in Jesus right now. And so having that salvation now, we're in this in-between space where there was the old self and the old life before we became a Christian, before we knew Christ, but yet we've not yet stepped into heaven. Salvation isn't quite complete yet because... We haven't stepped into eternity. And so we're in this in-between space. And while we stand in this in-between space, we need to be sure that we look towards heaven and not back to our former life. Psalm 62 verse 1 says this, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. The Christian needs to be excited about eternity and excited about heaven. Paul describes the Thessalonians as waiting for Jesus. And part of this waiting was the expectation, this excited expectation of Jesus' return. This anticipation of heaven instills hope in the Christian. It did for the Thessalonians. And even when non-Christians were persecuting them, they had the hope of heaven. Heaven provides hope for me and it can provide hope for you. But it's not just the hope for someday, but it is actually the hope of heaven is the someday that provides strength for today. A story goes like this. One night at dinner, a man who had spent many summers in Maine fascinated his companions by telling of his experience in a little town named Flagstaff. The town was to be flooded and, as part of, and it was to be part of a large lake uh, that a dam was being built for. In the months before it was flooded, all the improvements and repairs in the whole town, they stopped. So what was the use of painting a house if it was going to be covered in water in six months? Why repair anything when the whole village was to be wiped out? So week by week, the whole town became more and more bedraggled and more gone to seed and more, more woe begone. And then the man telling the story, he added by way of explanation, When there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. 
Ooh, that is what the hope of heaven does. It gives us faith for the future so that we have power in the present. Romans 8 verses 24 and 25 say this, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not really hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait with patience. We have anticipation for what is coming ahead of us. Waiting for Jesus is the anticipation of heaven, and it becomes our strength for today. And the third thing I'd say about what uh, Christian uh, waiting is, what waiting on the Lord is, is simply this. It is being dissatisfied with the right now. You can have the perfect life by every and any measure that you can imagine. But if you take eternity out of the picture, you will be unsatisfied. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 10 through 12 say this, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time, and also he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. God designed us to long for heaven. He put eternity in our hearts. And if you decide that you want to find your satisfaction here on earth, you'll be left wanting because you're ignoring that eternity that God has placed in our heart. But God, I will add this, God did make everything beautiful. It says that there in Ecclesiastes. He's made everything beautiful. And while we are ultimately unsatisfied by the right now, we ought to enjoy it. Waiting on God means that while we enjoy his creation, we long for heaven. The longing for heaven is to be in our heart. So we talked a little bit about what waiting isn't, and we've talked a little bit about what it is. But you might ask the question, well, how do we wait on the Lord? And I wish I could give you a, a, a detailed answer, step one, step two, step three, of how to wait on the Lord. But waiting on the Lord means this, that you and I live life trusting in God's provision providence, and purpose. I want to say that again. Waiting on the Lord means this, that you and I live life trusting in God's provision, providence, and purpose. Well, what does this mean? Waiting on the Lord means that we live, we take action, we go about life doing and accomplishing. We're active in our waiting, but the distinction comes from who we say is in charge. Let's look at God's provision for a moment. If we want to think about God's provision, it means this. Waiting on God means that I trust that God can provide better than I can. That I, I need to realize that even though I have abilities and I have talents and I have plans of my own and I think I, can, I, I know how to make ends meet, that I even over all my abilities, I would say, you know what, God provides better than I can. That's what it means to wait on the Lord. I will trust his provision instead of my own. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Well, then there's God's providence. And waiting on God means that I choose to believe in God's authority above my own. There's some argument over what providence means, but ultimately, uh, God's providence is his authority, his governance over all of creation, that, that he, he knows the ways of our steps and that he is the one in charge. Proverbs 16, 
9 says this, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. He's got providence over us. He, he is the one who is ultimately in charge. Psalm 103.19 says this, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. The citizens of Feldkirch, Austria, didn't know what to do. Napoleon Bonaparte's massive army was preparing to attack. The soldiers had been spotted on the heights above the little town, which was situated on the Austrian border. The Council of Citizens was hastily summoned to decide whether they should try to defend themselves or display, or just simply display the white flag of surrender. It happened to be Easter Sunday, and the people had gathered in the local church to try to make this decision. Finally, the pastor rose up and he said, Friends, we have been counting on our own strength. And apparently that has failed. As this is the day of the Lord's resurrection, let us ring the bells and have our service as usual, and then leave the matter in his hands. We know only our weakness and not the power of God to defend us. The council accepted his plan, and the church bells rang. And the enemy, hearing the sudden peal of bells, concluded that the Austrian army had arrived during the night to defend the town. Before the service ended, the enemy had broken camp and left. I love the line in that little story. Friends, we have been counting on our own strength, and apparently that has failed. Waiting on the Lord means that we trust God's strength above our own. We trust his providence above our own. And then there's that third phrase, God's purpose. And that simply is that we seek to follow God's plan above our own plans. Job 42.2 says this, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Here's a little quote I found. It was something interesting to think about. Imagine people going to work day after day without knowing their company's business. Yet that is exactly what happens when church members don't know what their church is trying to do. Fanaticism consists of redoubling your efforts when you have forgotten your aim. And for the Christian, and for the church really, since this quote's talking about the church, if we are going to be waiting on the Lord, it means that we will trust his purpose above our own. We can't just trust no purpose, and we can't just trust what we think is best, but God's purpose. Thomas Carlyle says this, a man without purpose is like a ship without a rudder, a waif, a nothing, a no man, having a purpose in life and having it and having it throws strengths. Let me start this over. <laughs> I knew I was going to mess up something here. Thomas Carlyle says this, a man without a purpose is like a ship without a rudder, a waif, a nothing, a no man, have a purpose in life and having it Throw such strength of mind and muscle into your work as God has given you. And really, I would add, the purpose that we are to have is God's purpose. And throw your strength into it. So today I want to encourage you to wait. Wait on the Lord, but not as the world waits. But live boldly and vibrantly for God. In this world, waiting involves being served and being tended to. And this is not what God has planned for us. He wants us to live boldly for him, trusting in his provision, his providence, and his plan over life. Let's pray.
Lord, help me to wait upon you, Lord. Not as this world waits, looking to be served and tended to and, and, and have my own senses pleased, but let my waiting be full of holy action, Lord. Lord, when I face the day, help me to not just trust my own wisdom and planning and ideas, but help me to trust your plan, Lord, and your providence, providence, knowing that your providence is so much better and your plans are so much better. Lord, help Valley View to be known as a church that waits upon the Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Go with Jesus.